Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It's Monday, December 26th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm joined today by Times of Israel founding editor David Horowitz and political correspondent Tal Schneider. Hello, good morning to you both. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Tal. Hi, Jessica and David. Hello to you both. We will speak today about the new government that's about to be sworn in and which appears to be set to legalize discrimination, allowing racists into the Knesset and the continued silence of Netanyahu's Likud partners. We'll also talk about a very frank interview that Tal had about Iran with a former Mossad chief. Before we jump into it all, let's take a quick break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. David, your latest op-ed is a frank, heartfelt, and a sounding of the alarm, as you put it, uh, a toxic slurry of legislation that is being prepared. Where to start? There is potential anti-LGBTQ legislation, potential legislation against Arabs, against women. Why don't you get us started with that, and we'll have a talk about it. Well, you know, it's really troubling to have to write pieces like that. It brings me no pleasure. Um, and I, you know, feel required to stress that when I write them, I write them as somebody who lives in and loves this country and uh, will not allow my concern that it's being torn apart as a democracy to be uh, represented as anything other than patriotism. You know, the, the future of the country is being shaped here and there's just daily new outrage and you know every day I, I take a few notes about what has what has newly emerged because that's the way it's been for the last two weeks so uh, um, in the last few days I mean first of all I would just encourage everybody to read the piece we, we ran um, late on Thursday which highlighted about a dozen of the most contentious uh, clauses and proposals and agenda items for the incoming coalition. So that's not everything that's being planned, and not all of it will come to fruition, but it includes many of the most um, contentious and troubling aspects. Um, so what came to a head yesterday was really, I suppose, two uh, of the more outrageous plans. One is to um, permit, to legalize discrimination um, in the context of religious beliefs, uh, this is legislation that is uh, um, reportedly in uh, one party's coalition deal and we have seen uh, in a second party's coalition deal, not signed yet, not finalized yet, um, which uh, would allow a service provider, including, for example, a doctor or a hotel owner, uh, um, to refuse service on the basis of their own religious beliefs with the, the minor caveat that provided others could, could, could offer that same service. Um, 
this having been agreed, members of the Religious Zionism Party um, yesterday began talking about it, how it might play out. Again, this is in uh, a coalition agreements, and uh, the outcry was predictable. They appear to be quite baffled by this. This is a, a, an agreement they secured. They think that uh, a hotel owner who doesn't, uh, who feels that serving gay clients would be um, unacceptable to his or her religious beliefs, should have the legal right to do so. Um, uh, in in the case that really hit the the headlines first yesterday, uh, an incoming minister from the Religious Zionism Party. Um, said that uh, doctors should be able to refuse treatment if it counters their religious beliefs, uh, uh, provided somebody else can provide can offer that treatment. Um, so this is uh, institutionalized discrimination. Um, the president resorted to calling Netanyahu, we we're told yesterday. Netanyahu said, no, we can't allow this, as though it wasn't he and his negotiators who had agreed it. Uh, and that's only one of the, of the, uh, the two items that I would highlight. The second being... Uh, moves, again, agreed in coalition deals, as far as we can tell, to lift the ban on racists running for and sitting in the Knesset. Again, Netanyahu yesterday said, oh no, I'm going I'm, to, this, this is not good, I'm, you know, I'm not happy with this. It's not entirely clear what he's saying, it's being interpreted in, in both ways. Uh, it is being claimed in some quarters that, he, that he's, he's saying he wants to have a still more wide and binding ban because the current ban, in his reading, uh, doesn't really affect Arabs, only affects Jews. I mean, that's just not the case. The current law uh, applies uh, across the board. It does not specify a racist Jew or a racist Arab, and it has been used to ban people um, on, on both sides of that particular fence. Tal, let me ask you a question. Where are Netanyahu's Likud partners in these conversations, discussions, statements? Why is there this continued silence? Well, the partners, meaning the chairmen of the other parties, they are the ones who are dragging the Likud into this direction. But let me just say this. Netanyahu is now, um, you know, eating from his own hands. I mean, he was the one who um, brought this with prom giving prominence to the coalition partners, with agreeing to everything that they asked for. He is the one who actually worked for the last couple of years to enter Ben Gvir into such a prominent location in Israel society. Um, he, you know, Netanyahu said a couple of years ago that, Net that Ben Gvir is not going to be a minister no matter whatsoever. We now see that he is being granted with one of the most, you know, important portfolios in Israel's next government. So, so right now, you know, when they ask for more and more and every day we hear more requests from those, you know, partners, um, it's it's Netanyahu's doing now. There is such an um, undercurrent of of people, maybe in center Likud, centrist Likud, or you know, me people who are just looking into Israel's centrist uh, politics. They are saying you got to put the blame on Gantz and Lapid because of their boycott on Netanyahu. I mean, this is ridiculous. Netanyahu actually, I mean, Gantz, for example did not boycott Netanyahu, entered his own government just a year and a half or two years ago, in which Netanyahu deceived him and, 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 and dissolved the government. So what do you expect? I mean, he deceived those partners, those centrist partners. Now, voices from the Likud are trying to put the blame on them. Why don't you enter his government? He doesn't even pretend to want them in government. And he gives everything, including all of those racist changes to Israel's laws. We have Ethiopians, Jews, you know, with their dark skin 
who can be refused to enter into um, a party location or a bar just based on their skin. This happened before. Now, if you're going to have a service provider like a restaurant or a bar saying, oh, excuse me, I don't want to have people like that in my place. I mean, it's, um, it's, it, those things happened in the past. You know, places that did that paid for that in fines. Now, according to this, you know, removal of this new bill, they, it will be harder to charge them. So you can refuse newcomers from Russia. You can refuse LGBT community people. You can, well, you can even refuse to, to entertain or give service to ultra orthodox. I just, it just doesn't make sense. Tal, to everybody, you, it, the way it's worded, I mean, it's, you know, we're, we are living in outrageous times. They could, you know, I don't want to serve women. I don't want to serve Arabs. I don't want to serve Jews. I mean, the example always used because it's so outrageous is I'm, I, I don't want to serve redheads, right? Uh, because nobody would ever do that. But the fact is that if, you know, the, this is, these are agreements that have been drawn up, solemnly drawn up by people who are coming into government. These are not, uh, you know, uh, bizarre uh, agenda items from irrelevant uh, extremists. They are bizarre agenda items from from extremists who are who are going to become the government. And let me just add, David, in the last 24 hours, Netanyahu sends reporters all of those deniers. No, it's never going to happen. It's not going to take place. But the coalition agreement says it does. So either you are deceiving again your partners because you're putting into the agreement clauses that are not going to be um, fulfilled or you are lying to the press. And let me tell you that once it's in the coalition agreement, he can say that it's not going to be applied. But then Smotrich, as a finance minister, can always come up and say, fine, you don't fulfill your part on the coalition agreement, then I will not fulfill my part as a finance minister. I will not finance this type of project or another time. I mean, he, can, he has a lot of tools to withhold things. Why won't you just take this clause out of the coalition agreement instead of explaining to us that you're not going to fulfill it? Where are the other members of Likud? Why are they silent? So, you know, we heard um, at least two MKs, members of the Likud, um, David Bitan and Tali Kotlib, speaking out loud against this. Actually, she spoke on the radio. She's she's a backbencher, backbencher. But she she didn't. She actually denied today on Israel's radio. She said that's not true. The clause doesn't exist in the coalition agreement. Obviously, Jessica, it does exist. She just it's a you know she says it's never going to be promoted. I will vote against it. David Bitan also said I will vote against it. But other than that, the rest of the Likud, uh, high uh, high up you know people, um, they're waiting to be uh, to their jobs. They they want to be um, foreign affairs minister, defense minister, um, agriculture minister, and so on. So they are mum. They don't say anything against Netanyahu at this stage. It's it's astonishing, and it's a reflection of what what became of Likud. Um, and uh, I quoted this uh, um, in the piece that I wrote yesterday, and it was quoted on television on Friday night. Uh, Likud, you know, when it was led by Menachem Begin, and for you know for for for, for much of its lifetime, I mean, it still it still has liberal in its title in the in the name of the party uh, in Hebrew. It, it, you know, it's a, it's a liberal democratic party, or it was. Um, and Begin wrote. Uh, um, in 1952, I mean, a quarter of a century before he brought the Likud to power about the imperative to have 
a Supreme Court that is able to put the brakes on the excesses of the political majority. Right? This is the the, the this is Netanyahu's legendary predecessor uh, cautioning from seventy years ago against what is unfolding here. But Likud, which which you which until fairly recently would have had some people who would have got up and screamed about this plainly has nobody, I mean, nobody who has been pre- prepared. Yes, David Bitan said he'd vote against it. Uh, but nobody who who has come out and said, this is outrageous. This is a disgrace. This is, this is bringing shame to our party. We cannot allow this to proceed. And the fact that they are silenced in some cases, in some cases, they're, they're fine with it. But some people in the Kud are silenced because, well, because they might get to, to preside over the remains of the education ministry that Netanyahu hasn't parceled out to other people because they might get to be the transport ministry. They should be ashamed of themselves and they have brought shame upon their party, but none more so than Netanyahu himself. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, Ta will tell us about her interview this past weekend with Zohar Palti, former intelligence director in the Mossad. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. You know, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll privileged to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. Okay, we're back. So tell, tell us about this interview uh, over the past weekend, over Shabbat. He's not, Palti is not someone who usually gives interviews, correct? What was the setting? Zohar Palti actually served for 40 years in Israel's uh, Intel community. Uh, he rose up to the job of uh, Mossad Intel chief. Then he was the head of the uh, Bureau of um, politics and, and diplomatic affairs in the defense ministry. Um, very prominent uh, person who, you know, his hands were everywhere when you talk about, the, you know, planning to attack Iran back in 2012, planning that did not go through, um, all of the revolutions in the Arab world and many other issues that Israel dealt with uh, for the years, you know, Syria, Lebanon and so on. And he sat for an interview uh, with me uh, during Shabbat, actually, in a political event in my hometown, uh, Ramat Sharon. And, you know, things he said were so important. So we brought them into the, you know, in, into the website of the Times of Israel. You can read everything, you know, all of his quotes out there. He said, right now, Iran is close to enriching 90 percent grade level uranium. That doesn't mean that they're going to have a um, nuclear uh, capability tomorrow, but they're going to have the military grade enrichment le- level, something that Israel said over the years is out of the question. Israel doesn't agree for Iran to be there. He said, you know, now they are enriching to 60%. And he said, 
we are days or weeks away from 90%. This is very severe for Israel. Then he said, you know, the next government will have to take grave decisions in order to decide what to do next. Um, and then, you know, one, one thing he implied, he wanted to be very, we call it mamlakhti, you know, he didn't want to be criticizing the incoming government. But he said for a resolution, I mean, I basically asked him, is this type of a decision to be taken with a, you know, a security cabinet with Smotrich, Ben Gvir, Derry and the latest uh, arrival, Goldknopf, you know, um, three out of those four did not serve in Israel's military, has no military background. They are chairmen of the parties. Is this a decision that the cabinet can take? And what about, you know, representing half of Israel's, but, you know, a little bit more half of Israel. But what about, you know, public con consensus on those actions? Because if you if you're going for an attack, it is going to have a grave, you know, implication in Israel's uh, society here. And he, he said he implied, you know, this decision shouldn't be taken um, with a narrow government or a government that represents only part of the people. They should, you know, think how to enlarge the consensus uh, on that. One other very important issue that he touched on was Israel's relationship with Jordan, specifically with what's going on on Temple Mount, because we had one, um, you know, at least one prominent member of the Knesset from Jewish par power party uh, named Fogel, who went up on the mountain a couple of days ago and said, we should, you know, change the status quo here and have the right of Jews to pray on Temple Mount. He didn't say that he's going to do it tomorrow, but he said, you know, the next government should, re you know, consider that. Palti said, I mean, don't touch this sensitive area. Don't bring in the war of the religious factions around the world into this very small location. And he also said something very important. He said, Jordan is Israel's greatest asset. I mean, the peace accord with Jordan is Israel's one of the greatest uh, assets. Do not harm that. Um, so, you know, quite interesting things coming from a very prominent person who doesn't speak that much. What was his tone throughout? Even-handed? Does he get excited when he talks about any of those particular details or subjects? You know, he stepped out 10 months ago. So I think he's still in the um, atmosphere. I mean, he said that the security operation will not refuse anything suggested by the political, um, you know, ranks because this is not their jobs. But he said they will bring in the info and they will bring in the intel to make sure that Smotrich, for example, understands very well that if you want to, for example, I asked him about dismantling of the Palestinian Authority because this was a statement by Smotrich, who is Israel's next finance minister, and he wants to dismantle the Palestinian Authority. He can do it, at, for example, by not you know, providing them with their tax collection money. And I said, you know, you think he's going to do it? It's, and then Palti said, you know, once he will enter the cabinet, the chief IDF will bring all the intel and explain to him that if you want to dismantle the Palestinian Authority, and uh, uh, this is my words, but you have to read his own uh, words, you have, you know, your, all of your budget is going to be thrown into something like that. You're not going to have any more budget to deal with Iran. Smotrich and Benigvir will start to understand the reality once they're getting their job. You know, let's hope so. I, I think what's interesting, uh, I, I would distinguish between the two of them, uh, Tal. I, I think Ben Gvir is uh, 
potentially ready to be pragmatic. I think he intends to be prime minister of Israel. I think he's a very, very skilled political operator. I think uh, uh, Smotrich is a whole different personality. I think he's ideologically unyielding. Um, remember, he kept Bibi from Netanyahu from, from forming a government a year and a half ago. We wouldn't have had Netanyahu out of power uh, if Smotrich hadn't prevented it because he prevented any reliance on, uh, on, the, on Ram, the, the Islamist party. So uh, I, I'm not sure when uh, they sit around that cabinet table. And I know that what you're saying is true. I'm sure Palti said it. I've heard other people say it. Yeah, when they hear the full picture, they, they moderate, they realize that they can't pursue the agenda that they're pursuing. I'm not certain that that's going to apply uh, reliably in the case of Salah Smotrich. It's interesting to note that Palti, you know, if you look 10 years ago, he was one of those people who convinced Barak, the then defense minister, and Netanyahu, the then prime minister, not to attack Iran. He was one of those group of people who said we shouldn't do it uh, based on, you know, his military experience. These days, he speaks very, very differently. He says, you know, he basically said we have to do it and we do have the capabilities to do it. So that was also very interesting. Okay, well... All these things remain to be seen. Uh, thanks for that, Tal. That's very interesting. And thanks, David, as well. Uh, appreciate your conversation together. Wishing us a good day and a good listen. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks, Tal. Thank you, Jessica. Have a nice day. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time. Shalom. Shalom.